cannot imagine a magazine I'd want to be on the cover of, just off the top of my head. <laughs> All right, uh, glad you're here this morning. Take your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I was offered a camp t-shirt, but Pastor Kenny and I both determined that that's really not my color. <laughs> that looks good on them, doesn't it? Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, let's begin in verse 1. Paul writes this, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. You know, the apostles asking for the benefit of the doubt. Uh, everybody didn't understand he, everything he was doing, and he wasn't responsible to explain to everybody everything he was doing. But I think he comes to the point by the time he gets, writes this epistle that uh, he, he, he might just feel like he deserves the benefit of the doubt, and he's asking for it. And sometimes you need to learn to give your preacher the benefit of the doubt, even though you may not know all the details, you're never going to know all the details of the things that they deal with. Verse 2, it says, For I am jealous over you with, a, with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Verse 3, But, Paul did his job, But, I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's a fear that he had. Well founded. It happens. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I come to you again in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this opportunity to preach. Thank you for these faithful folks. Thank you for those that have come out today. I don't know the spiritual condition of of many of them, I pray if there's one in here that's not saved, that you'd save them. Pray the rest of us, God, would keep our guard up. And I just uh, pray you get glory out of this uh, opportunity to please you. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. It says there, it says, uh, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh I got saved 30 years ago. I came into church after making bond finally. And uh, there's a track in the track rack. Uh, and it had been around a long time then. And maybe some of you have seen it. And uh, it's had a couple different colors. But it says, God's simple plan of salvation. How many have seen that in your Christian life? Amen. Uh, no marvel. It was written in 1933 by a guy named Ford Porter. Uh, it's been translated later into 129 languages and over 660 million are in print around the world, and they're still printing them. And it's real simple. As a matter of fact, that's what it says. God's simple plan of salvation. Say, what, what's it talk about? The gospel. Take your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we got a Bible full of a lot of stuff, a lot of sound doctrine, but I'm going to tell you what, ground floor, uh, where we get started uh, is, is believing the gospel. You can get a lot of other things uh, down pat, and if you've never been saved, it ain't going to matter. Amen. Nobody's going to be discussing doctrine in hell. There's going to be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Uh, Paul says this in verse 3. We're in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, uh, and I delivered unto you first of all. That's what we're talking about here today. First things first. He says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to... Uh, to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What we believe in this church isn't our opinion, it isn't a religion, it isn't something that's been passed down. We just believe what the scriptures say. Amen. Amen. We're Bible people. Amen. 
All right, now that's the gospel, and it is simple. Christ died for your sins, not his. He didn't have any. Amen. He died for your sins according to the scripture and was buried and rose again. And because he did, we can have victory over death, hell, and the grave. That's what salvation is. It says, and how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? There it is. That Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. You neglect that, you can have a head full of stuff. You can have a head full of religion. You can have a head full of Bible. And you ain't going to escape a devil's hell. This isn't about what you think or what I think or what you believe or what I believe. This is about what that Bible says. And that Bible says that Paul delivered, first of all, the gospel. And that's what that track is. The gospel that Christ died for our sin. That's where we get started. That's the most important thing you can know. It's simple because God intended it to be simple. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verse 3, Paul wrote this. He said, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It is God's will that every human being be saved. Amen. Amen. I mean, the ones that are just absolutely disgusting to you, the ones that are offensive to you, and me too. But in God's economy, God looking on souls, it is God's desire that they come to the saving knowledge of the truth. And he made a way for that to take place. Uh, he made salvation simple enough that anybody could get it. The Bible says, for God commended us, but God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He couldn't have made it any simpler. John 3, 17 said this, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him, the world, might be saved. Everybody needs saving. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I understand, I understand in this day and age where we're presented with, with, with news daily, instantly, the most heinous crimes are, are, are before our eyes. And not only that, they'll start linking similar things uh, going on. And it's real easy. If you don't get your eyes out of the, out of the stinking news and the computer and the television, you'll get, you'll get uh, uh, to some degree, you'll get hopeless. You'll think that, uh, that uh, there, again, there's no hope left. Amen. We live in a day and age. But I'm telling you, there's some good news. Uh, Jesus Christ did not come to condemn the world. We needed saving. He made a way for us to be saved. The danger of being bombarded with all this uh, horrible news is that it's easy for regular people, hardworking, normal, charitable people, like most Americans. I said like most Americans. Most, listen, I'm in all 50 states, been on the road 25 years, and most of our countrymen are pretty good folks. Now, just because you get the worst of the worst paraded in front of you on a daily basis doesn't make it so. But I'm telling you what, being a good person and having never done that, never done that, never done that, is not going to get you into heaven. Only Jesus Christ is getting anybody into heaven. And God came up with a way. God committed his love toward us. Not because we had good intentions. Not because we're going to clean up our act. God committed his love toward us. And when we were the worst of the worst condition we could be in, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. That tells me he's real serious about it. Amen. I was in Montana last year, year before, something like who can remember. I think it was last year. And this fella came to me after a couple of days of meeting, and he says, Brother Spurgeon, uh, uh, I've done some things. Uh, tell me about the unpardonable sin. 
He had convinced himself, or he had conveniently convinced himself, that he'd done things that couldn't be forgiven that way. He didn't have to worry about uh, Holy Ghost conviction, and he could just do whatever he wanted, because who cares? What difference does it make? And I said, son, the only unpardonable sin is never trusting Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, because that blood we've been singing about, uh, that book says in 1 John chapter 1, that book says the blood of Christ, uh, G, uh, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You can't get forgiveness if you don't ask for it. You can't ask for mercy if you don't ask for it. And I'm here to remind you, you need it. And you might be the best person in the neighborhood, in the community, but you still need saving because we're sinners. God's simple plan is, is, the, uh, is the message this morning. I'm just, I, I often think about, uh, and I'm grateful for the fact that he made it simple. I needed it simple. You might say, well, Brother Spurgeon, how simple is it? How simple is it? John chapter 14. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and uh, Christ said it pretty clearly there in verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. Not a way. Not one of the ways. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then, for knuckleheads like me and some of you, he finishes the verse with these words. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. Now, I know that King James Bible is kind of hard to understand. So let me help you by defining what no man means. You ready? It means no man. It means nobody's getting to heaven by their own merit. Jesus Christ said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not multiple choice, friend. It's one choice. That's a blessing. For the first 37 years of my life, I made so many bad choices and a few cents. But uh, since the cross, I'm talking about. But uh, uh, with my track record of bad choices, if salvation, if forgiveness was a choice, I had probably got it wrong. I'm glad it's not. I'm glad it's like taking a test, taking a test, and it's multiple choice, but only there's only one choice. Uh, uh, pick the following answer. A, and that's the only one. Some of you probably got that wrong, but I would have got that right. Amen. And I'm glad of that. I'm glad of that. Men said, I have witnessed it a guy one time. I said, well, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And Jesus Christ did. They said, well, what about, I think he said Eskimos. And then he said somebody else, some other group. Well, what about some far-reaching, what about them? I said, right now, what about you? Listen, you come to Christ, I can tell you about some of that stuff, but it wouldn't make a lick of sense to you if you're not saved yourself. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. This isn't about what about so-and-so. This is individual. This is, a, this is personal. What about you, friend? That book says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men. Where, whereby we must be saved. I'm going, that's pretty clear. I'm glad it's clear. That's simple. Amen? All right. Uh, uh, amen. God made it simple. Acts 16. Acts 16. One of my, you know, I like these passages where people get saved in jail. Even if it's the jailer. I preached down in, in uh, Bridgeport, Connecticut one time. I had, I don't know, 78, 78 inmates uh, in a service. And, uh, and there's about 10 correction officers standing around to assemble that many inmates, or maybe eight. And uh, I'm preaching away at them. You preach all of sin and come join the glory of God in a prison. You know what they do? They hang their head. They know they're sinners. 
You can move right on to the gospel because they know they're sinners. But I'll tell you what, that's why we like preaching in jails better than churches because church people sometimes get mad at you. I'll tell them and say, hey, you're a sinner. People, who does he think he's talking to? I help you. You, Jack. Talking to you. Amen. When I preach in this prison in Brisbane and all these things, all these convicts, they're all, you know, they know they're sinners. They're waiting to get the solution. And then there's all these correction officers standing there looking around. And I said, hey, you too, pal. You need it too. You might not have done what they've done. You're not here because of what, like, for the same reason they are. But you're going to die in hell. And all the prisoners like that when I start skinning the COs. We had 32 men saved in that service. I had been saved about a year and a half. I went, wow, this is, I wish I'd have got in on this earlier. And I still do. Here you got Acts chapter 16. I'll recap it for you. You got in verse 25, you got Paul and Cyrus. They're locked up, but they're doing right. And instead of, uh, woe is me, and this isn't fair, and I'm calling CLA, uh, the Bible says that they were uh, singing and praising God. And, of course, God heard him. The prison gate swung open. No prisoners escaped. That was a testimony to the jailer. I mean, listen, from my experience, if all the prison doors swing open, some of the guys are leaving. <laughs> okay, all of them, <laughs> if they thought they're good. And this jailer knew, and Paul says, hey, everybody's still here. And he knew something supernatural was at hand. In verse 29, it says, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why would this pagan, heathen, Roman soldier that the keeper of the prison, that was his retirement plan, amen, uh, he earned that position. Why would he be asking about salvation? Well, maybe it was because Paul and Silas were down there at their cell singing, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hey, maybe the way Paul and Silas were handling that thing, this guy knew something was going on that he'd never seen going on before. And he came in and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, well, you're going to have to get a haircut. You're going to have to take that bone out of your nose. And you're going to have to, you know, get some britches on, son. And you're going to have to. And they didn't do that. Listen, religion does that sometimes. I know a couple. This guy's a Vietnam vet. Got out, did 20 years with the Atlanta City Police Department. Retired from there. Became a Georgia State Trooper. And retired from there. I mean, he worked for a long time, and he was out visiting his son, who's an officer in the Navy in San Diego, and went up the steps to a church. Him and his wife, they were out there visiting, and they were stopped at the door by a couple ushers and said, oh, we see you're visiting, and they weren't dressed exactly the way that somebody must have thought they needed to be dressed, and these were solid Christians in a church I preach at in Georgia. Love God. And they said, you know, maybe you'd be happier at a little church. And they gave me shame on them, buddy. These people didn't know if they were saved, if they were lost. They had somebody, God forbid, a child of God turn up their nose at anybody that comes through them doors. When I came to church the first time, I got out of jail on a Friday night and was on a pre-sentence investigation and a bail and uh, I came to church, and I didn't, I, you know, I got, <laughs> and uh, I didn't know how I was going to be received. As a matter of fact, I was extremely apprehensive, and people are apprehensive. We talk, we meet them on the street. We meet them in places we go, and we invite them to church. And I'm going to tell you something, lost people, people with histories, baggage, bad things, uh, they think you guys are all a bunch of goody two-shoes that don't know anything about sin, if they only knew. <laughs> And they come in and they're apprehensive. And that makes it more important than ever that we be friendly. That we make them feel welcome. If they turn out to be an idiot, well, we'll deal with them. But boy, you better treat them with 
with the same kind of love that Jesus Christ treated you. Amen. These guys didn't make it complicated. He said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, why? They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the simple gospel I'm talking about this morning. Thank God it's simple. It's simple enough for me to get it in a jail cell all by myself, 6 o'clock in the morning. Say, well, you know, those guys get in jail. I mean, I was preaching in Delaware. One guy went to a jail with a guy in, uh, in a church there, and, uh, and he'd been doing it 10 years, and, you know, he was kind of a grumpy guy anyway. And I went with him. He let me preach, and I get my testimony, bragged on the Lord. A couple guys got saved. I was excited. That's what I live for. I mean, and I don't have to see one every week. It's cool, but it doesn't have to. I'd say a person gets saved every once in a while. I can go a long time on that. How many read my book? How many of you know who Taco is? He was in the book. He was a friend of mine in the old days. He is a real, real serious member of the club. He got triple life. I wrote to him for, for 10 years trying to win him to Christ, and he never responded. And he died of cancer in prison. And I was, uh, well, I was sad because I just wanted him to write back and say I trusted Christ. And, uh, and he never did. And he, they buried him uh, three years ago. I'm in Florida in February having lunch with, a, with an outlaw boss that had been won to the Lord by uh, Dave Turner down there. Some of you know him. And we're talking, and this guy's a brand-new Christian, and he's got an uphill battle. And... He says, did you hear Taco got saved? But I was on cloud nine for like six months. Let me see, February, March. Oh, I'm still on that cloud right now. I'm still flying very high on that. I don't know about you, man, but listen, when a person gets saved, they live forever. There ain't nothing else going on down here that, that has an eternal consequence. And we can be in on it. Why? Because he made it so simple that even people like us can... Have a part. Amen. Amen. How simple is it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so simple? I'm sure one of you just muttered. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why. Uh, the track record, think about it for a second. The track record of the human race, pretty lame. You know, let's, okay, Adam and Eve. Two people. Perfect. Created in the image of God. One rule. No peer pressure, even. <laughs> and they blew it. They blew it. Not off to a good start, human race. Amen. So then human government took over. Obviously, that wasn't the answer. <laughs> Still isn't. It says in Genesis chapter uh, 6 and verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. He sees that right now. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Thank God we're not there yet. Because when we get there, you're not going to find 100 people congregated anywhere singing about Jesus Christ. Amen. But we're getting there. That's the devil's goal. And when the Lord takes the church out of here, it's going to get dark spiritually. Uh, the law, he gave him the law. Government didn't work out so well. He destroyed the uh, earth with a flood, uh, kept uh, eight people, started again, and, uh, and uh, they still struggled. So he gave Moses the law, and they couldn't keep it. They couldn't keep it. Say, yeah, those Ten Commandments, well, there's about 600, but the first ten stopped most of them dead in the tracks. Amen? So what did he do? Lord had said, I can see him talking, you know, hey, man, we got to figure out something, or we're just going to be stuck up here with these angels and seraphims forever. we got to come up with a plan, and he did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. And they made, uh, they made everlasting life a gift. Yeah, yeah. And still... Most will miss it. Sad passage in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. Uh, the Lord says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and uh, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. 
many, destruction, eternal. And that's bad enough, but then the next verse says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. Son, come here. I want to... All right, so it says, narrow is the way. Stand here and turn around. And uh, so you might say, well, how narrow is it? Well, it's real easy. The way to eternal life is one man wide. The way to eternal life is single file behind Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, son. And that verse finishes in Matthew chapter 7. Straight is the gate and narrows the way that leadeth unto life. And it says, few, few there be that find it. With the gift of eternal life offered freely, 100% totally paid for, still most make it. That ought to make you more appreciative of your salvation than you are. Some of you was raised in a Christian home. You've had this stuff given to you your whole life. Value that. I'm not diminishing that. That's the best possible testimony. You're not going to have to carry around some of the garbage that some of us have in our heads. Some of you are going to be, if the Lord tarries, going to be able to do more for God than, than people like me ever will. And I want to encourage you to do that. Amen? Some of you, some of you just like me. I wake up still. And shake my head remembering that I'm not who I was. I'm not what I was. And most importantly, I'm not going where I was. And David's burden did not turn over a new leaf, man. I became a new creature in Christ. That's the only explanation. Amen? Praise the Lord. He made it that simple. It had to be that simple for us to get in. Anybody can get in on it. Anybody can get in on it. Don't miss it. Let me tell you something. We do not assume just because you made it into the building this morning that you're saved. And I'm not, you know, I don't detect any spirits. I mean, I've heard preachers say the dumbest thing. <laughs> if I do, you're going to be a uh, 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 whisk out of here without anybody else even knowing it. You know, we're not going to stand on the pulpit and say, oh, I see a pair of horns over there. I got to be careful because somebody will be offended. You follow me? Listen, we're not going to assume, millions go to church. We're not going to assume that just because you came into the church, you're saved. Maybe you're searching like the preacher said. Maybe you're a good person. You wouldn't want to go to hell. You don't doubt what the Bible says, but you, like me, were raised in a church where it was never explained to you that it's personal. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shall be saved. Everybody's making a lot on pronouns these days. I don't even get it. Michael, you help me with that more than anybody else. But just to be honest, it still makes no sense. Amen. But I'm going to tell you something about pronouns. I had a guy in church in Orlando this spring, and uh, he had gotten saved in jail, and he's coming to church, and he's doing his best. His mother gave him uh, something, an NIV or something, and, uh, and the preacher said, yeah, he's new, and, you know, he doesn't really get it that the King James Bible is not just a Bible, it is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. It is the foundation. Yeah, there's stuff that's in there that's not in the other ones. He wasn't there yet. I get it. Give people a chance to grow. So I was talking to him, and me, I'm Mr. Compassionate, and, you know, and so I just cut to the chase. I said, hey, man, oh, you know, I talked to him. I said, so let me see that Bible there. And each other, I said, you know, you, you need to get a King James Bible. I just told him. And I met it, and I was nice about it. I can talk to straight to people like that. They're not like some of you. that You'd get offended. And I don't offend anybody on purpose. I used to, that's why I'm so good at it, but I don't on purpose anymore. He said, well, the reason I don't have a King James Bible is because, because it's, it's some of the stuff I don't understand. And I know what's coming when, I, when he said that. I know. I've heard it over and over. I said, well, okay. Well, I get it. Okay, tell me what, tell me what it is you don't understand. He said, yeah, yeah, the these and the vows. <laughs> and I said, well, let me help you with that. He said, okay. I said, 
It means you. He went, really? I said, yeah, it means you. Amen? He goes, oh. <laughs> he goes, well, I need a King James Bible. And preachers want my preacher. We need a Bible for this guy. And that's all it took. Boy, the devil just throws up all that lame stuff. And it's really just as simple. Hey, listen, man, people need to be shown. They need to be told. Amen? Now, you're going to shove anything down anybody's throat. I wouldn't allow that. But I'm open to, to, you know. God made it simple. It needed to be simple. I'm glad it's simple. Paul said, but I fear less, uh, I, but I, no, yes. But I fear lest by any means the serpent, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your minds, your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Who would want to corrupt it? Genesis chapter 3. Go there. Genesis chapter 3. And look with me in verse 1. Our text says, as the serpent beguiled Eve, here's the serpent, shows up. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Does your Bible have a question mark after verse 1? Uh, I want you to notice that the first question in the whole, the whole entire Bible was asked by the devil, and it was questioning what? God's word, what God said. Amen. <laughs> Let me tell you something, that battle started right then, and it has been raging for 6,000 years. Verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. And that's the first lie in the Bible. And it was offered by the devil, and he's calling God a liar. You see that? Say, well, I didn't see that. Well, he's subtle. He's the most subtle beast of the field. But you look at it, you'll see that's what it says. So he called God a liar very subtly, but in John chapter 8, Jesus Christ returns the favor. John chapter 8 and verse 42, and Jesus is talking to a bunch of religious people. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar. And the father of it. That, not only was the devil a liar, but he's had a bunch of kids since. And they're liars too. And Jesus Christ, sweet, gentle, soft, brown hair, mild-mannered Jesus, pretty direct preacher. Called it, not very subtle at all, was it? Called the devil a liar. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5, and it says, For... God doth know, he's talking, uh, serpent's talking to Eve, said, for God doth know that in the day, the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. One rule, one tree, God told him to stay away from. And that passage there in Genesis 3 says she saw, she was within sight. Why were they in the Garden of Eden? Why were they hanging out in sight of the only thing they were told to stay away from? Same reason people do now. Look at them, pre, don't look at this, don't go there. And then it's like, why not? Why not? And boy, there's the serpent, and he knows exactly what buttons to push. And he knew what buttons to push with her and make her question what God said and doubt what God said. And he's still in the business and he knows which buttons to push with you too, cause you to question the Bible or the preaching of God's word or, or cause you to doubt God. Yeah, how many times has anybody that's ever done any counseling heard somebody say, yeah, but 
And that's the devil. Amen? Sometimes the devil corrupts. That's what the text was. The context was corrupting the minds from the simplicity. And, and sometimes the devil corrupts God's simple plan by adding stuff. Like, like good works. I mean, there's a lot of people, and I know people that will even say, yes, I believe you're saved by grace through faith. That's good. You can read Ephesians chapter 2. But then say, but, but once you get saved, you, you got to maintain that. you got to work. But the ne- very next verse, verse 9 says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, good works are good. Verse 10 says you're created unto good works. But that's not what saves you. Right. And I know people that'll say, well, to stay saved, you got to, you got to, you know, do everything just right. Well, there's no hope for any human if that was true. Amen. Sometimes the devil corrupts God's simple plan by adding baptism. It's amazing the number of people that think you have to get baptized to be saved. Even Baptist. Amen. Even people that claim to believe the Bible. I've been in churches a, a long time ago. I was at church where they gave an invitation for people to come down and get baptized to join the church. Amen. You have to be baptized to be saved. You have to be baptized to be in the church. That's not Bible. Acts chapter 8, verse 36, it says this, and this is the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, he just won the eunuch to the Lord. See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? He'd been, in, uh, he'd been in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish proselyte. He's up there hearing all the Jewish religious stuff. You know what else he's hearing? He's hearing about this guy named John. John the Baptist. He's hearing about that. He's also hearing about Jesus Christ being crucified. That's why he said to Philip, uh, who speaketh the prophet thus of himself or some other man? And he opened the Bible at Isaiah 53 and declared unto him Jesus. And they're going on their way and he sees water and he remembers this water baptism thing. And he asked if he could be baptized. And Philip made sure in verse 37, uh, he said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. You get saved by believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then in the next logical thing, the next thing in obeying the Lord. And I challenge you, if you've got anything but a King James Bible in here, if you go to that verse in Acts chapter 8, that part that I just read won't be in there. They take it out. The importance of differentiating between getting baptized for salvation or believing on Jesus Christ. You don't have to take my word for it. Amen. I don't want my Bible tampered with. I think this stuff's kind of important. He asked about being baptized, and Philip baptized him, and baptism's a good thing. I got baptized. Amen. And, uh, but he wanted it before he did. He made sure he knew, okay, I'll do it. That's good. But that's not what saves you. And again, who, is the, who has convinced people for so many years that that is and we're talking the subject of the verse is the devil sometimes he 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 corrupts god's simple plan by oversimplifying it yeah like like okay uh one two three repeat after me listen it isn't the prayer that saves you it says in romans 10 and verse 10 for with the heart Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, and the prayer is important. When the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I had a prisoner say one time, well, what does it mean to believe in your heart? (coughs) And I thought, what it means is comprehending that if everybody in the history of the human race was on their way to heaven except you, Jesus Christ would have still come down here, took that beating, let him nail him to a cross, give up the ghost, and take your sins to hell. He'd have done that just for you. That's how personal 
this thing is. That's what means believe in your heart. That's why it's not some little religious ritual. And the devil's convinced many that that's all it is. And if you ever get a hold of what Jesus Christ did to keep you out of hell, you'll get saved. And many of you in here no doubt are saved. Beloved, don't ever get over that. And that sounds so, you know, basic. But I'm going to tell you something. With the world, the flesh, and the devil, and all the distractions, and, and, and the age in which we live, it's easy to get over it. It's easy. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and all thy soul, and all thy mind. And he should be at the top priority of our list. But he drops a couple notches because we get distracted by the cares of this life. And he warns us about it. My preacher gave me a formula uh, 30 years ago to help combat that, and we're all tempted. He said it real simple. He said, stay in the book. Stay on your knees. And stay in church. That is profoundly simple. Just like God's simple plan of salvation. Say, will it work? So far, so good. Amen. Don't ever get over it. Our text says the devil, the serpent, beguiled Eve to his subtlety. Here's what that means. He did not appear to Eve as he really is. No horns, no tail, no pitchfork. We live in a day and age where people have been convinced that the devil's a cartoon character. He's not a cartoon character. If he would have appeared to her as he really is in his fallen state, she wouldn't have been talking to him. She'd have been terrified of him. And the exact same truth holds for today. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Their end is a lake of fire and brimstone. But boy, they're doing damage between now and then. Satan appears as, a, as an angel of light because he knows if he showed himself to this world as he really is, people would be running from him instead of to him. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3 says, But if our gospel, our gospel, what saved you, our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, no question about who it is, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them devil is in the business of blinding minds for one very simple reason. To keep lost people lost. He doesn't care if they go to church. He doesn't care if they do nice things, do wonderful things for people. He doesn't care about that. He just wants them to stay lost. What does that mean? Not saved. God wants them to be saved. We established that. But they're not. Not yet. Amen. And I just want to tell you, if you're in here this morning, and we're glad you're here, but if you're not saved, if you're not scripturally born again, if you've never trusted what Jesus Christ did on the cross as a sacrifice and atonement for your sin personally, you're lost. And you need to be saved. And you can be. You say, well, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. <laughs> Physically. But if you'd be honest with yourself, you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. That's what I'm talking about. And if you did, if you knew that a devil's hell awaits, a lake of fire, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth, that's what the Bible says. Say, well, I, I saw something on YouTube. Seriously? You're going to compare some special you saw on the cable channel or some YouTube video 
You're going to put that up against what the Bible says? You're going to risk eternity and your children that follow after you? You're going to risk their souls too on foolishness like that? Amen. Listen, if a person really understood that their sin, small sins, big sins, any sin, was going to take them to hell, and Jesus Christ went to the cross to make a way for your sin to be forgiven, we wouldn't have to give an invitation. We couldn't keep you from getting saved. But there's an adversary. There's an enemy. And here's what he wants. He wants you to sit there through one more hymn, one more invitation. He wants you to find fault with this loudmouth preacher. Somebody said, I don't like you. I'm going, so what? I don't either. I'm not preaching about me. If you're in there today and you're not saved, you need to be saved. You can be saved. God did everything necessary for you to be saved. It's on you. You need to believe. You need to understand that Christ went to the cross for you. You need to understand that nothing else is going to take care of the issue. And let me say to you that we are here to be a help to you in any way we can. And we've got men and women, we've got teenagers that can open a Bible and just show you what the Bible says. Nobody's trying to sell you anything. Nobody wants anything. How many of you knew everything I just said already? How many of you knew that? How many of you would raise your hand and say, Brother Spurgeon, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. All right? Well, I figured that'd be the case. Say, why are you preaching this on Sunday morning? Listen, to a bunch of saved people. Well, I told you, first of all, I don't take for granted you are, and if you're not, you need to be. And you can be, and I hope you get saved today. But you know what else is true? All you saved people, you know people that aren't. Good chance some of you have relatives that aren't. Loved ones that aren't. Neighbors, co-workers that aren't. You've got the answer. Now, how hard can it be to present, to take advantage of an opportunity to give somebody such a simple plan, to plant a seed, to water maybe something that somebody else has planted? How hard can it be? Our problem isn't that it's hard. Our problem is we don't do it. And we're the ones that know to. I don't know how long it's going to be for the Lord to come back, but I know this. Obviously, he's not done saving souls. Because when he is, we're out of here. When the gen- fullness of the Gentiles come in, This is all going back to dealing with the Jews. The church leaves. How many of you knew that? See, I know what you guys believe. I know what's preached here. Amen. But what's preached here is that we need to be busy about our Father's business. And God says, man, I don't know. These people are like children. I better make this real simple. So he did. Let's all stand. God's simple plan. Man, I'll tell you what, I'm reminded regularly that I'm glad it's simple because I'd have never got it. Truth of the matter is, that's the case with some of you. Truth of the matter is, some of you have been presented with the glorious gospel of Christ since you were children. I envy you. And I want to encourage you, take advantage of it. Don't waste it. Let's get the truth out while we can. If you're near and you're not saved, we'd love to open a Bible and answer questions. You've already been given enough information to know how to be saved. You need to admit that you're a sinner. Not to me. I'm a sinner too. But I'm a saved sinner, 
because in a jail cell I laid a Bible on the floor next to my rack and asked Jesus Christ to forgive me, believing that what he did on the cross was capable of washing away all my sin. Now that's what the Bible says. Now you made it in here this morning and there's a good chance you've heard that before and you don't doubt it. You just never made it personal. And that'd be why God has you here today. So you can respond to his glorious gospel. This is a nice, friendly church family. And if you got saved, you'd be welcome to come back. People would be kind to you and, and, and help you with anything you might need, spiritually speaking, physically too to some degree. But if you never darken the door of this church again, the important thing is that you trust Christ so you don't ever lift up your eyes in hell. We're just passing the word along because somebody gave it to us. We're not building churches. If you're not saved, please. Head bowed and eyes closed. Just for a moment. Head bowed and eyes closed. Christians, you got the message. There's been some at the altar. Probably should be a lot more. That's between you and the Lord. But I want to say this. I'll get out of the way. If there's somebody in here, say, Brother Spurgeon, I do not have the assurance that you're talking about. I do not have the confidence of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that I would go to heaven if I died even on the way home today. Please pray for me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. You don't have to worry, be worried about what anybody else thinks. Here I am. You know, I'll see your hand and I'm leaving tomorrow. So just slip your hand up and I'll pray. God will see it too. That might be a good first step for somebody. Just admit it to yourself. Admit it to God. If you're in here today and you'd like me to pray for your soul, for your salvation, slip your hand up, put it right back down. Anybody like that at all? All right. Well, that's good news. That means everybody in here, we're going to go to heaven together. And that means every one of us in here, we got a mission to get that simple plan into the hands of people that we know that are not saved. And we know them. What page, preacher? 541, altar's still open. If you need to come, feel free. You want to pray for somebody, feel free. Want somebody to open the Bible? We'd love to do that. 